Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hello, my caregiver nation. I hope everybody's doing great today. We are in February now, and I keep hoping that uh, things will kind of calm down a bit from the holidays with people, you know, having meltdowns over their family members and things like that. I wanted to talk about something today that um, brings, brings it all home to me on how people don't work well with people with various dimensions, especially sometimes when they're in a community. And I want you to see life through the eyes of the person with the diagnosis because some of the ridiculousness that happens is unbelievable. I'll start with an example of this morning. I went over to a community where somebody is living, and the person really probably didn't need a memory care at this time, um, but she's there nonetheless. And the people at this community keep talking really loudly to her. They keep uh, pushing medicine in her face without telling her what they're doing. Their approaches are horrendous. I heard today when I got there that they had forgotten her medicine three days in a row uh, for sleeping. Um, So she'd been awake for a couple of days. Uh, It's just one thing after another. And so I went in, and yes, I have years and years of approaching people, but I took one of my best uh, people that work for me as well. I'll just call her V. And uh, V was with me, and... Uh, I just sat down right next to her, eye level, uh, told the lady how pretty she looked. Um, I said, oh, my gosh, your husband told me you looked uh, beautiful, but I really didn't think you'd be this gorgeous. And she smiled. And I said, oh, what a beautiful smile you have. I, I asked her if I could touch her arm and just pat her hand, and I found that she was really cold. And so uh, V, who was with me, was down on one knee, you know, trying to be lower than her, and said, how about we get you some socks, and your feet are kind of cold. And we were able to get her some socks and put them on her feet, and we could see her really warming up. And I said, your arms are cold, honey. Can we get you a coat? Would that make you more comfortable? And I was just being really kind and gentle with her, and she was smiling at me. She was responding to me. She was answering my questions. When I walked in, the staff said, oh, she's a mess today. She's she's in a bad mood. She hasn't slept in a couple of days. She's crying. She says she wants to leave. She's scared and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I was like, wow, um, really? So as I was in there, I couldn't believe that they saw a person who was confrontational, wouldn't take her medication. Um, She's sitting there in a room that was relatively facility-like, not much on the wall, not much to keep her warm. She's wearing just her underwear and a short-sleeve shirt. 
no socks, no pants, no shoes, no jacket. So my worker and I got socks on her. Then we got a jacket on her and tried to warm her up a little bit. And then um, eventually, after about a half an hour of working with her and just talking with her, I sang a couple songs to her because I know she likes music. And she just calmed right down. And I said, honey, can we get you up and get some pants on you? It's really cold in here. Yes, she stood right up for us. The staff said not only was she confrontational, but she was hitting people. She was crying. She was a mess. They were looking at uh, snowing her under even a little bit more. And they couldn't get her dressed is what they said. They couldn't get her medication in her. They couldn't get any food in her. And with VNI being there for just 45 minutes, we were able to get her standing up, put some pants on her, got some socks and shoes on her, got a jacket on her, gave her both of her medications with no problem, told her that we were giving her her medications, and she took them. And then we attempted to get her some food, and I said to her, you know, your tummy won't be as upset if you take some uh, food since you just now had some medication. And we were able to get her to eat a little bit. It blows my mind that I could walk in there with my caregiver in tow and we could get her to do everything they said they couldn't. And there was another additional caregiver there from a, a home care company that the community had asked the husband's husband to engage and bring in. And she said, when they come in, they yell at her. And it got me to thinking about, it's been years ago now. It's been 10 years ago, easy. But at an early stage Alzheimer's group meeting, one of the people in the meeting described how people would speak loudly to him after they learned of his diagnosis. And <laughs> I remember the guy saying, one, I won't say what he actually said, but one idiot said to my wife, ask him if he wants coffee. And the person with the early diagnosis said, I screamed back at him, yes, I do, with sugar. <laughs> I, will, I will never forget that. It was a priceless moment. And uh, the look on the other guy's face was amazing. And everybody in the group were kind of like, yep, that's what happens to us. They've all had that kind of similar reaction. They've had that experience. And to the person with the diagnosis, they feel like dementia itself means that they're recognizing a disease that is already active and is probably going to continue for a long time. But outsiders think they should start treating the person differently without recognizing what their abilities are. I say this all the time. See what they can still do, not what they've lost. They worry about talking to a person about having the diagnosis. Now, it's true. There's a 
big percentage of people that don't want to acknowledge that they have the disease and are scared of it and all of that. But the truth of the matter is, I believe that if you can talk about it with the person, it becomes more it becomes more of a rapport building thing. They might think that you're being too personal, but if you're speaking to them and you're listening to them, it helps enormously. If you talk them through a process, if you openly talk about their feelings and and how they're feeling about everything, it makes a difference. It's important that families and patients are speaking and listening to each other about the diagnosis and about the disease because listening is the best way that you can create a positive impact with the person that has the affliction. And what language they use doesn't really matter. If they say something that doesn't make any sense, smile at them and say, yeah, you're absolutely right. It it matters that you're listening with your entire heart and soul to that person. And that you are giving them unconditional kindness and you're not interrupting them. You're essentially you're telling them that you still value them. And that that is more loud and clear than any audible tone you could use. I'm listening to you. I see you. What do you need? As an example, the woman I was with this morning, as I was talking to her, I wasn't afraid to say to her, would you like to go home? I know you've been here for a couple of weeks. This hasn't been a good experience for you. When we get you home, I'm going to give you people like V and a couple of other people that are going to listen to you and they're going to talk to you. And I saw a picture of you just from a couple of months ago where you looked amazing. Your hair was done. You had makeup on. You had on earrings and a necklace and a beautiful sweater. And you look like a businesswoman. Would you like us to get you up and maybe put on a little bit of makeup and then maybe at the end of the day somebody takes it off for you as well? So when you go to bed, your face is nice and clean because you have beautiful skin. She just ate it up. Twice during the time when I was there, I asked her if I could give her a hug and she gave me a hug both times. So much for her being you know, off the chart needing all this, all these other uh, antipsychotics and everything else. They actually told us that they thought her mean behavior was because she had a UTI. When somebody has a urinary tract infection, they can become abnormally angry and upset and all that kind of stuff. But um, we intentionally had her stand up while we were eye level with her. Uh, Because when somebody has a UTI, you can typically smell it. And we did not smell it. We didn't smell anything. You can't miss that smell. I mean, it's not an accident that V and I were able to sit and talk calmly with her and to say, 
Your husband loves you so much, and he wants to take you home. He's providing 24-hour care, and I'm going to make sure the people that care for you are the nicest, kindest people you will ever meet. Would that work for you? And she turned and looked at me, and she said, I would love that. When can we start? (laughs) This is a person that they put in in a memory care. In my estimation, A, she did not have a UTI. B, uh, it wasn't a case of her being angry. It was a case of them approaching her incorrectly, coming into a room and just trying to shove medication in her face instead of sitting talking with her for a few minutes and then explaining to her why she needed it. I'm not wholeheartedly sure she needed it. She was completely snowed under. And to that, I say, shame on that community. From the person on the other side, they're trying to figure out, WTF, what is happening to me? Is anybody listening? And you have to try to help, I at least do, the care partner to understand how the patient is reacting to the disease and to the way people treat them. Because I believe it has a greater impact Since most people, including people who work in memory care, health care professionals, don't usually include the person in a conversation. But people with Alzheimer's resent being seen as deaf and dumb. Some of them will talk less than they did before. Some will talk completely because they are afraid they will make mistakes. But when you talk to them, the goal is to stimulate conversation and win their trust on a personal level before you expect them to react positively to you or to open up. And whatever you're talking about isn't really that important. You know, I was asking her if she knew Carol King because she's 70 years old. She said she didn't know Carol King. But I asked her if she knew James Taylor, and she said, oh, yeah. She couldn't think of a song, so I started singing Sweet Baby James to her. We did all this before we tried to shove music in her face. You know, talk about movies. Talk about parties. Talk about weddings you've been to. Talk about topics that women are interested in. You could, I could have asked her how she was doing through menopause, if she's still struggling with things like that. That is so important to do that. And maintaining eye contact with them. And if you talk around them to somebody else, turn around and apologize. I did that today. I was talking to a a gal that was in the room. She was just an additional person that had been brought in from touching hearts at home because they wanted 24-hour care for her in this community. That's another thing that just really ticks me off. You pay anywhere from six to ten thousand to twelve thousand dollars for them to care for you and you want care for your person and they want you to bring somebody else in to do the work are you kidding me and you know what I wanted to, what word I wanted to throw in there unbelievable listen to the person maintain eye contact sit down and build a rapport with them Everything, every expression on your face is conveying something to that person. Every chance you have to nod or pat the person's hand 
or give them some positive affirmation, encourage their confidence, that will help them to be able to speak to you, even if language is a challenge. And when other people are around, show them what you've learned. Show them how to include the patient, even people that are profoundly speech-deprived, right? By addressing them directly, referring to that person by name, incorporating them into the conversation, even if they can't answer anything, it doesn't matter. You can see whether or not they seem like they feel happy and if they're willing to talk to you. And usually you can get laughter and you can get positive body language out of them. Winking is a great way to convey to that person that you are including them in the conversation. Patting them on the arm. Because that person that has Alzheimer's disease, like anybody else with memory loss, might, probably will, forget when you, what you say to them, but they won't forget how you make them feel. It matters. They are, that, that case today, I, I tell Brian, my engineer, all the time that the world gives me content, ridiculous content for the show. Every day I encounter something or someone who is either doing something extraordinarily wrong or extraordinarily right. And I try as best I can to give some positive or negative feedback where it is deserved. I, and I don't know for the life of me why people won't talk about the disease. You know, people with Alzheimer's will let their friends and loved ones know how they want to talk about it or if they need to talk about it. But the whole dilemma is that the family or friend may not be ready or prepared to talk to them about what's happening. And sometimes we stick our foot in our mouth and try to deny that the person's having any problems when it's, you know, finally time for them to say, yeah, I think I have a problem. They just try to brush it off. Well, that's not helpful. That is not helpful. If somebody comes and talks to you about their diagnosis, don't say, oh, I think you're fine. If you don't think they're fine, say to them, you know, I'm really proud of you for, for talking to me about this, for listening, and for, uh, for really uh, ha having this conversation with me. Well, obviously, I'm all wound up. I'm doing a little bit of a shorter show today because I went to this uh, community and traffic was terrible. And I wanted to take a break at the 15-minute mark, but it looks like I'm a little behind. Uh, this is only going to be about a half-hour show, but we're going to take a short break and hear a word from our sponsor, Carillon. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community full of grandeur and elegance is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef prepared meals, transportation services and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. 
Call 720-440-8200 or visit carillon at bellevuestation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay. I'm I'm doing short a shorter show uh, two weeks in a row because of time restraints and just because I was a little late today to the studio. <laughs> but that's okay. I don't need to talk just to hear myself talk. I need to talk so you hear some information that matters to you. And right now I'm talking about talking to the person with the disease. Now, you all know that I ran an early stage support group uh, called Getting Started back in the day. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking about it um, as I was sitting here trying to figure out what I want to talk about in the show today. And I was remembering some of the things that people said to me way back when. And I remember somebody saying to me, I really long, I'm jonesing for somebody to just take my hand and say, this must be awful for you. And instead, my daughter looks at me with tears in her eyes and goes into another room. When I ask my husband... If I'm losing my mind, he'll say, we're all getting old, and that's kind of the end of that. I know what's happening. This is what somebody said to me. I know what's happening. Why won't my family talk about it? They want to talk about it. Oh, my God. They want to talk about it. Let me say it again. They want to talk about it in the early stage and families are trying to convince them that they're fine families are are not not putting their arms around them and saying I'll be there with you I'll keep you safe the ones that do that have such a better 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 time if you wait too long then they start getting denial and they start getting angry and they don't want to discuss it. You know, the person that was telling me that, I remembered her telling me that uh, her sister had been diagnosed with cancer and that everybody in the family just rallied around her and tried to help her make plans and all that kind of stuff. And she said to me, The contrast in the way they treated her and the way they're treating me is making it harder for me to comprehend all the silence around my disease. And if I want to talk about it, maybe I don't say it well. I've seen people say this too. You know, they'll ask, am I losing my mind? Am I going crazy? What's wrong with me? Um, They'll ask, am I becoming senile? Am I no good anymore? I can't even think straight anymore. I'm forgetful so often these days. No matter how they say it, no matter what they say, whatever form the comment takes, What they're saying is, tell me why this is happening. Help me understand. 
And as soon as they broach the subject, say something like, um, you know, Alzheimer's is a brain disease that makes you feel that way. Let's talk about it for a while. Let's talk about the disease. Let's help it relieve your anxiety. If you do that, you can deepen the relationship with your care partner. And I think sometimes uh, if you get into a situation like my V or my Amanda is going to be working with this, this new patient, um, the, the spouse or whoever it is is like, oh, shh. Every time you mentioned it, she starts crying and stuff. Well, it's worth it to try to have a conversation to say, you are safe. We are here for you. We're going to be there for you. Let a physician say it if they're better at communicating it. That's okay. You know, sometimes you're going to have emotional ramifications for bringing it up when it's too late. But you can also think about the fact that that person might be able to offer some intelligent, thoughtful comments and advice back when other people close to them um, seem like they're tongue-tied every time they walk into a room with you and they're not equipped, they're ill-equipped to discuss their issues besides your issues, the worries they have, and things like that. And memory loss overall, just it just creates such great anxiety. And a normal coping mechanism would be to try to hide the problem or deny that it's happening. Um, they feel inept. They feel scared every time something happens and they notice it and they notice that they're declining. You know, like if they're having trouble remembering their neighbors or family members or, you know, even people you've known for 30, 40 years. I had a guy tell me one time, sometimes I glance over the evening paper that I'm reading and I look at my wife and I I'm really fighting to recall her name. Those are scary, scary moments. But at other times, they feel like their old self. They feel like they're, you know, ready to turn on the TV and watch the Super Bowl with you and talk about all the penalties and talk about how the refs are cheating for one side or the other or whatever it is. Sometimes they're ready to engage and at those moments, they don't feel like anything is wrong. Maybe they just feel like they're overtired. Sometimes things are losing meaning. Sometimes they need to tell the people around them how they're feeling when those brain attacks are happening. But if you're scared every time they try to say something to you, nobody's going to win. They might be afraid they'll lose their job. Or they won't be invited back to play cards anymore or whatever it is. They just don't want to be treated differently. And, you know, attacks of memory loss 
increase every day, and they have to be acknowledged. But when they're acknowledged, the patient's fear grows. And just one thoughtful word from a care partner can make all the difference. Just giving somebody a little hug can make all the difference. Well, I hope that has given some of you some insight today that maybe you can think this through and try to do better at talking with your person that is is living with that diagnosis and not treating them like they're an alien. Giving extra hugs, giving a pat, giving that moment of I'm here for you can make all the difference in the world. Well, there you have it. My love to you all, and I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.